We're going to be in John 11. So turn to John 11 if you have your Bible. And I've been preaching on our urgent mission, the mission Jesus gave us as individuals, as the church. And today will be our last sermon in this series. This will be the eighth one that we've talked about. And the whole purpose of this is to help us understand we know we're supposed to go and share the gospel. If you've been a Christian at any time at all, we know we're supposed to do that. And, and I don't want to charge you up and, and have you do that out of guilt. You know, try to lay a guilt trip on you and say, if you, know, you, gotta, if you want to be a good Christian, you've got to do this or whatever. But I wanted to convey just the desperate need people have to know Christ and how each of us are uniquely shaped for that mission that God, if you're a believer, God has created you and shaped you in such a way to be an effective witness. And you might say, I can never win anyone to Christ. I just don't know enough. I don't. But I'm telling you, God has shaped you for this purpose and can work in you in that way. And so what is our part in that service, uh, in in that mission? And that's what we're going to talk about. So John 11, 38 we're going to kind of come to the end of this particular story. And this is about when Lazarus has died. And so in 38, we'll start there. It says, So Jesus, again being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, Remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there'll be a stench, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you, you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said it, so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And therefore many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done believed in him. Let's pray over these verses this morning. God, I thank you for your work in our lives. And God, I thank you that you have called us each to be part of what you are doing in this world. And I pray that we would see our part today so that we could be effective witnesses for you and we would see a harvest of souls for what you're doing through this church and in this community. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Rhonda and I have been moving stuff from our rental house into our new house. And... uh, um, we've got, yeah, I know. I mean, give me 10 months and I can get moved. Um, the, 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 we, we got four days to get it done and we're going to get it done. And, and, uh, but I had a, a friend helping me move, uh, some of the bigger stuff and he had a lifted truck and there was a trailer there. And long story short, I was kind of kneeling on the, on the end of the, the, the bed that had been folded down and I fell off and landed on my back onto the trailer tongue and the railing and all that. And the first words out of my mouth was, that's going to leave a mark, because it really kind of hurt. It's going to leave a mark, and it, and it did. Um, 
I still am hurting from that particular fall. But uh, I did something to my, my two fingers here. I still can't get my wedding ring on. My knuckle is bigger than it was before I fell. I immediately took it off because I knew I hurt my hand and I didn't want him to cut it off and I can't get it back on. So that's why I don't have my wedding ring on. But my little pinky, it won't, it won't bend all the way. Um, and, and it hurts, you know, when you bump your pinky, um, when it's hurt like that. Everything hurt. You're like, ow, Every, st- everything stops. If you hurt your little toe, you hit your little toe and everything hurts. Um, and, and that's the way it is. Um, yeah, every part of your body needs to be working to be in good health. And that's the same as the body of Christ. It's the same as the local church, that every person in the body is critical for the mission. We, we all have a, a part to play, and we're all critical in that, in that mission. Just like my, it, it is better for me to have a little finger than to not, it, that, that, that's the way it is with the body of Christ. Even the parts that we think about littlest or, or we maybe forget about at all play crucial parts. Your eyelash is a tiny little piece of your body, but it keeps out dust and, and it, uh, you know, particles from coming into the eye. It's got this warning trigger that if something gets too close, it, it just by reflex closes um, because your eyelash is really important. The little, the uvula, you know, the little hangy down thing in the back of your throat, it, it does something. It's there for a purpose. Um, when, when you go to swallow, it covers up your nasal cavity so food doesn't go upwards in, into your nose, and that's a good thing. And in fact, they say that uh, animals don't have that, is what I understand, or at least what it produces, and that might be one of the reasons why we can talk and they can't, other than God determined that was going to be the case. But, but, they, but the little uvula, the little hanging down thing, it's, it's important. Even the appendix, people say the only thing appendix is good for is for the doctors to buy a, make a boat payment. You know, the, the, but it, it does. There's new, recent research that says that good bacteria hangs out in the appendix, and so when you have uh, intestinal sickness, some of the good bacteria goes to that. I haven't done much reading on that research, but they're saying there is a purpose for that. And my point is, just like all these little body parts we may not be thinking about, or, or that we think are pretty useless or we could live without, they're, they're important to the body. And each one of us, each and every one of us in the body has a part to play in the mission of God. Every one of us has a way that we can minister to reach people that no one else can. And that's what we're going to see today. And you might, not, you might think, you know, I cannot participate in this mission or, or whatever, the, the urgent mission to make disciples of all nations, to see the world and say, this is what God has called us to. And someone's got the world upside down here, I just noticed. Anyway, um, but, uh, um, but, but uh, the, the, the whole, the, that is our mission. Every one of us individually as a body is to make disciples of all nations. And you might say, I can't participate in that. I'm just, uh, I, I'm just an eyelash or I'm, I'm just the hanging down thing in the back of the throat. But, but God has made you to play a part in his mission. And so in the story today, we're going to read about Jesus loses a dear friend who is sick. He's close to death and then he passes. And Jesus has something he wants everyone to see. 
And so we're going to read about Lazarus and, and with an eye toward our part in the miracle of salvation. So begin with, we're going to back up in our story just a little bit and see that Jesus understands what's at stake here. And he wants to show his disciples that, first of all, Jesus raises people from the dead. That is what Jesus does. That is his mission, to find lost people and raise them up. Look in in chapter 11, verse 11 through 15. That wasn't in our beginning passage, but this is what he says. This he said, and after he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may waken him out of his sleep. His disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. They just figured that he had gone to sleep, he was sick, and that he's going to be okay. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said plainly, he said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. See, the amazing thing about our mission is that Jesus performs miracles in people's life. And that miracle is that he takes them who are spiritually dead and he gives them life. And it is nothing short of that. Every time we see somebody who has given their life to Christ, it is Jesus has raised them up from the dead. And it is a powerful thing. That's what he does. He raises people from the dead, and he calls us to participate in that mission. Listen to what he said in John 5 earlier in this book. He says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. Jesus gives people life. And whoever he wishes are those who have trust in them. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, he says. He gives life. And he wants to save the people that we know who do not know Christ. He wants to raise them. They are, they are dead spiritually, and he wants to raise them to new life. That is what Jesus wants to do. We've, we're called to go to a world that is dead. And, and that's not to say that somehow believers are above that. Every one of us were dead spiritually. That's where we were at in our natural state. We were, we were dead. Paul says in Ephesians 4.20, sorry, in, in Ephesians 2.1, he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. In our natural state, we're not sick, we're not confused, we're not somehow just misled. We are dead spiritually. There is nothing alive in us. We have this part of us who is, is, is uh, you know, our internal being, but the part of us that Jesus brings to life is dead. And the people we know without Christ, that is their natural state. And then it says in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, But God being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loves us, even when we were dead in our transgression, listen, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It is by God's grace 
His gift to us that he comes in and he gives us life and brings us to life. That is what Jesus does. It's God's grace that saves us. The Father has given us a gift in his Son, and he gives us salvation if we would receive it. Now, Paul lays out this path to salvation. That is, how, how does someone go from death to life? And he, he does it in the book of Romans. Many people call this the Roman road to salvation. You might want to write these verses down. It's a, it just takes several verses in Romans that are very easy, easily memorized. You can memorize them really easy. And, and then you might have some verses to share with people. But we begin with the bad news of sin. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All, everyone. We have. Everyone you meet out there, they have sinned. Even those who say they have no sin. First John says they're a liar. They have sinned. Everyone is born into sin, and they fall short of God's glory. That is the bad news. Because later, he says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That is, because we sin, and all have sinned, what we earn from that is death. That's why we are dead spiritually. Because we sin. But, it says, The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You earn death, but God gives you a gift. And a gift isn't something you earn. It's not something you deserve. It is something God says, here, I want you to have this. Because we couldn't earn it. We couldn't deserve it. And so he gives us this salvation. So how do we get rid of our sin? Romans 5, 8 says this. God demonstrates his own love for us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died in our place. He took all our sins. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and he took all of them. Every thought, action, and, and, and uh, word that we have said that were wrong, that would be considered sin, he's taken all of that, and he's placed it on Christ. And the trade-off is that he gave us righteousness. He took our sin and gave us righteousness. These two verses are not necessarily part of the Roman road, but 1 Peter 2, 24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. He was perfect. He had no sin, but every sin that I have done, have, have ever done and will ever do, all of that was wrapped up upon Christ on the cross. In addition to that, every sin that you have done and will do, and every sin that every person has ever done and will do, was taken to the cross and placed upon Christ. As Scripture says, he became sin, and he was nailed to the cross, and sin was put to death so that we wouldn't have to bear it anymore. It says that he bore our sins on his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. That's not talking about physical healing. That's simply saying we are healed spiritually. We are raised from the dead. There's not a better healing than that. And 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says this, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He took on all our sin, and it says, so that he might become, 
so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the trade. He took our sin, and we get all of Christ's righteousness. That is the trade. That's a good deal, right? We, we come out of this when Christ, I mean, when the Father looks down on us, he doesn't see our sin that we committed in the past. He doesn't see our sin that we're going to do in the future. He looks down and he sees the righteousness of Christ on us. That is good news. And we receive that when we believe in Christ. And Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That is, you say the same thing that Jesus says about being Lord, that he is king of your life, that what he says goes. It doesn't mean that you say, yeah, I believe there was a guy named Jesus. That's not belief. Belief is saying, I am done ruling my life. I'm laying it down and letting him rule. That is, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. It says, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. When you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died for my sins and was buried and laid there and then was rose from the grave and now is ascended into heaven never to, be, never to die again and ruling in heaven, and that he is, I surrendered my life to him and give him the reins of my life and let him control my life. If you believe in your heart, or if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, is what it says. We get new life. And Romans 8.10 says, If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Jesus brings new life to those who believe. That is the miracle of salvation. It is the dead coming to life. And so when we read Romans 10, 13, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the deal. We go out and say, you need to call on the name of the Lord because you'll be saved. But if we look at the verses following that verse, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's on the front of your bulletin. How then will they call upon him who they've not believed? They cannot call upon the name of the Lord because they don't know him. How will they call unless how they call on him they've not believed? And how will they believe in him who they've not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And that doesn't mean what I'm doing here, this kind of preacher, but until somebody tells them about Jesus, how will they hear? Because they will not believe if they haven't heard and they cannot hear unless somebody tells them. That is the, that is the mission. How will they preach unless they are sent. Well, we've been sent. Matthew 28, that's our uh, 28, I mean, yeah, 28, 18 through 20. That is our, our mission. Go and make disciples of all nations. We've been sent. And it says, just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. We're to go to those who have not trusted in Christ yet. And we're to talk to them about Jesus so that they can hear about him and so they can believe in him and call upon him and be raised from the dead.
That is our mission. And then Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. When Jesus raises people from the dead, there is no more condemnation that they have to face. It is, it is, a, it is the good news. It is the best news anyone's ever heard, whether they think so or not. Jesus raises people from the dead. And while Jesus is the one who raises people from the dead, we have a part to play. And we see in the story of Lazarus, going back to the story of Lazarus, that first of all, we're called to roll away the stone. It says, so Jesus began, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Remove the stone. See, Jesus is the only one who can bring people from dead to life. I can't do it. You can't do it. There's not enough arguments that we can win. There's not enough fancy words that we can speak that will bring someone from dead to life. Only Jesus can do that. But people have barriers in their life that keep them from coming to Christ. Now, Jesus could have told these people, watch this, stone be moved, and the stone would bounce away like a rubber ball. It could have done that. It could have disintegrated into a million pieces. We saw that when he rose from the dead, the stone was rolled away and and blasted out or whatever happened. But he, he can move stones. It's not his problem. But he says to the people, remove the stone. There's someone in there who is dead who needs to get to me. But there is a stone in between them and me. There is a barrier. And so go and remove the stone. And that is our, essentially our, our mission. There's a lot of people that, ha- I mean, there's a lot of barriers people have to coming to new life in Christ. They may have a wrong perception of what it means to be a believer. They might believe in a, in a Jesus Christ that they've been taught from a child that's not the Jesus Christ to Scripture. They might, they might think differently about uh, what a Christian is. A lot of people today have the stone of pluralism in their life that says anything you believe is fine. All roads lead to God. And that's simply not the case. There's only one way to Christ. I mean, one way to God, and that's, per- that's the person of Jesus Christ. And so there's a barrier that we have to talk about, the, exclus- the, the exclusiveness of Jesus Christ. One of the most effective ways to remove stones from people's lives so that they can have access to God, so to speak. They've got access, but you know, there's these things that prevent them. But one of the ways is building a relationship with them over time, and they see you living as a believer. And they see how you, you respond to different issues. Ezekiel 36, 23, the last part of the verse at the very last part of the verse, it says, Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. They're going to know that he is the Lord God when they see him holy in our life, that he is set apart. I remember in, in, in a previous church sitting with a, a young single mother and and. Um, she was the daughter of one of the church members, and we had sat many times trying to talk about the gospel. She wanted to receive Christ, but she had lots of questions, so I did my best to answer them. 
And, and one of the things she told me is she said, I want to understand the Trinity before I come to Christ. I thought, well, that's, you know, that's, I, <laughs> you can't, um, I can't do that. I just told her, look, when you begin to describe the very essence of God, you cannot fully explain it, first of all. But second of all, that's not the issue at hand. If I was able to give this eloquent, excellent explanation of the Trinity, she'd find another barrier. The issue was she was afraid to turn over her life to Christ. If I turn my life over to Christ, then I've got to follow him. What change might happen? How might I be different? Will my friends still like me? What do I have to give up? I saw the stone that she needed rolled away was not the right answers to a question. It wasn't how much knowledge she could get before she trusted Christ. She just needed to turn her life over and step out in faith and deal with her fear. And I would submit that's probably most of the barriers people have. That they'll say, well, I I grew up in a church and then they'll, whatever happened or my parents were this, or I had a believer say this to me one time, and, and there's, they say, so I will never come to Christ for that. But at the essence of really what the barrier is, is I don't want to surrender my life to Christ. I'm afraid of what might happen. So we live in relationship with them, and we care for them, and we show Christ to them so that he proved holy among us. And they see that and they say, I'm going to believe in the Lord they believe because it makes a difference in their life. For most people, the stone that needs is simply an issue of faith. So who's the person in your life that God has asked you to help move that stone away? Is Christ asking you to be involved in someone's life to help remove the barriers? so that they could respond to Christ so that barrier isn't there anymore. If he's, if he's working in your life and he's working in their life, and he is, then he's going to bring you guys together so that those barriers can be removed and eventually a decision can be made. Jesus raises people from the dead, and we have a part to play. We're called to roll away the stone, but we're also called to unbind them and set them free. Look at the last part of this passage, 43 through 45. When he'd said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the man who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings. Picture something like a mummy, because that's what they did. They would mummify the person, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. And therefore, many of the Jews who came to Mary and saw what he had done, believed in him. Stone was rolled away, and he prayed, and he prayed for their benefit. He says, I know, God, you hear me, but I want them to hear me pray to you so that they will know and believe. And he calls out, Lazarus, come forth. And talk about, you know, Halloween times. A mummy starts hopping out of this tomb. He had been dead a long time, and they brought him, he brought him to life. And God is calling the lost and the dying of this world to life. He is calling the world to salvation. And he's not just calling them salvation so that they'll miss hell. 
That is not the point of salvation. He comes to give them life right here, right now. John 10.10 says that a thief comes only to kill and to steal and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's a life free from guilt and shame and and a, a life free from from death it's a life that is that is free and he's calling people to have abundant life right now not in eternity but right now that they can have the the life that is that that we can ex, that we can experience that we know all my sins are forgiven before i've committed them they they are nailed to the cross and gone and so I don't have to carry around the shame. And that he's given me a new name and he's clothed me with new robes and he is, he is uh, my Savior and Lord and, and my, um, we are co-heirs with Christ and all that that takes, all, all that that entails. Jesus said John, in John eight thirty two, You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And here's the deal. Unbinding people and letting them go means teaching them God's word. It means letting them know what it means to be a believer. In fact, if you read that verse, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. You read the verse above it, John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. How do you unbind a person whose worldview is corrupt and incorrect? I mean, it doesn't view reality right. You take him to God's word and you say you can be free from that. It doesn't have to bind you. It doesn't have to change you. It doesn't have to define you. You show them it's not only what God's word says, but it's how it's lived out. And that is discipleship, not teaching more about Christ, but showing them what a life changed looks like. It's teaching them what it means to be like Christ. That might be a structured study, and that's a good thing. It might mean a process of time living with this person and helping them through difficult times so that they mature in Christ, teaching them God's word as you go. 1 John 4, 4 says, For you are from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The point is, Christ gives us the power to do this, every one of us. We all have a part to play, and all of us can play a part. When Jesus raises them from the dead, we can, we can play a part in helping remove those barriers and unbinding them and letting them go, and then let Jesus do the work of saving them. Did you think about the those who participated in the Apollo missions, you know, what names do you think of? You think of maybe Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, you might remember. And of course, you probably remember Ellie Foraker, right? Ellie Foraker, you all know her? She was a seamstress who made baby clothes at the International Latex Company, best known for Playtex, if that helps. She made baby clothes. 
and she was good at her job, and she made really good baby clothes. But the International Latex Company in 1962 was commissioned to make astronaut suits. They had had high-altitude suits, but they did not have suits made for people to go up into space and deal with the radiation and the micrometeoroids and everything else that might be out there. And they had no idea what it would take. So the International Latex Company took their best seamstresses, and Ellie Foraker was the lead on one of these teams that was brought to say, make us a spacesuit. And so she started doing her work. Usual, usual sewing equipment were discouraged for safety reasons, so they had to do the stitching by hand. Um, they sewed together thousands, um, I mean hundreds of yards of these spacesuits, and they said it was thermal, a thermal micrometeoroid garment that had 17 layers, and that by hand, hundreds of yards of this material. They would measure these uh, stitches within an, uh, a pinhead, and anything less than provision, per, per, perfection, sorry, anything less than perfection was, was unacceptable. So Ellie's experience and quality of work was why she was chosen. There were times that sewing pins were needed, but a sewing pin that was forgotten in a spacesuit could result in death for the astronaut. Get that? It would poke a hole or poke them or something, and it could result in death. So one of Ellie's jobs was to make sure every pin that was assigned to her team was accounted for at the end of the day. Every little bit of it, so that there would be no more, there would be no one at risk. One wrong stitch, one lost pin, it could mean disaster for the astronauts. And so this is what she, this is what she did. She'd made, she made those suits. And so when they finished the suits, they put them through tests, and the ultimate test came July 21st, 1969, when the astronauts stepped out onto the moon. And the world celebrated, except this team of seamstresses and Ellie's team saying, um, you know, I hope they live, right? I mean, this is everything that they've done, hoping that these astronauts could survive, that they wouldn't pop a stitch or somehow die. And of course, it went well. And they'd watch Armstrong and Aldrin do their low-gravity bounces, and every time they'd jump and come down, they would sweat and worry that it would bust the suit. But of course, there was none of that. It was a testament to her dedication and talent of Ellie Foraker, who was a really good baby clothesmaker and played an incredible part in, in the moon landing missions. And you might think, I'm an Ellie Foraker, right? All I do is make baby clothes or whatever. You know, here's this giant mission out here, and I'm just doing this. And I'm saying God is powerful enough and good enough and amazing enough to say that what you're doing is a critical part of this whole thing. And there's people who need whatever it is this is. And if you can do that, and if you give it to him, he will do amazing things with it. We have to stop thinking of ourselves less than what, how, how God sees us. He shaped us and called us 
gifted us and called us to, a, to an amazing mission. And there's none of us that would have to say, well, I, I really don't have much to give. You have a gift of the Holy Spirit that has been entrusted to you for this purpose. The message we proclaim is nothing short than having the power to raise people from the dead. Who do you know that needs the life that only Jesus can give? And the relationship we build with people will help remove those barriers. Who do you know that needs those, those stones removed so that they can see Jesus clearly and accept them? And who do you know that, that needs to be unbound and set free, that, that maybe they've come to Christ and they're a new believer, but they need someone to walk with them in this life. And you say, I've, I've been where they're at. I can walk with them. And I don't know the Bible maybe all that great, but we can learn together. I know what it means to be a Christian man, Christian woman, and I can help them. How is God calling you to respond? I'm going to have you bow your heads and think. Our mission is critical. Our mission is important. God has called us on it. And every one of us can play a part. He has gifted us and called us and shaped us and wants us to participate. How is God calling you to respond? And maybe today that's your decision. You're just saying, all I've got is this little thing. I'm just a seamstress making baby clothes, but I'll use it however you need it. Maybe you just give that to God. Maybe there is someone God's been laying on your heart and you're saying, okay, I will do whatever it takes to help remove that stone, to talk about the barriers and help remove those from this person. Maybe there's someone you know that needs to be discipled and you need to partner up with them and grow in the faith so that they can be unbound and set free so that they can be let loose in God's kingdom. How is God calling you to respond? God, I I thank you. And we are humbled that you call us to be involved in your mission. God, we cannot raise people from the dead, but I thank you that you ask us to participate in it. And we get excited when we see life coming from death. And so I just pray, God, that you would help us participate in that. That we would see us how you see us. as special vessels filled with the Holy Spirit, gifted and called and shaped to be who you want us to be, to reach those who need Christ. God, if there's a decision that needs to be made, I pray that we would do that before we leave. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.